Thanks, Ev. Now, someone left their mask here. Thanks. That's you? <laughs> I'm not going to get it. I'm not allowed to get it for you. So, you know, um, okay, wonderful. And I'll just give that to Michelle. All right. Folks, I'd love to have open in front of you uh, Acts chapter 10 and 11. And in a moment, Michelle's going to read to us all of Acts chapter 10. So if you've got your Bible there, have it open in front of you. Um, I hope you've been enjoying the, you know, enjoying the Olympics at the moment. I think the highlight for me the other day um, was um, last night. In fact, I watched the, the Australian um, jumper. There's two Australian jumpers in the high jump. And uh, the Australian girl came second, which is pretty awesome. And she's apparently a keen Christian girl, came from Sydney, went through Sydney Uni and went to the Christian group there and everything. But um, uh, I just love the way they run in to jump. How cool is that? If only my legs could stretch that far out. Anyone else watch it or was it just me? Hard to get a reaction with the... Um, but incredible. Anyway, that's my highlight so far of the Olympics, watching the, um, the hard jumpers run into the mat. How about we pray and ask God to help us um, understand his word today? There's an outline there too in your bulletin, just a pull out one, have that there as well, and at the end we'll have some times, uh, <clears throat> some times for comments or questions. All right, let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word to us today. We thank you for the, um, uh, the joy it is to meet together as your church and all the good things that are happening. Uh, Lord, we pray as we spend the next 20 or so minutes uh, just thinking about this passage, these... these um, uh, this, this story with, with Peter and Cornelius, Lord, we pray that you would, uh, you would change our hearts and minds to be people of your kingdom rather than of this culture that we live in here. Uh, so thank you, Lord. Amen. Well, there was this pastor uh, of a church in Western Sydney. He just finished preaching on uh, James chapter 1. Now, James chapter 1 is a fairly famous passage about not showing favouritism, Okay. Anyway, a young member of his church came up after he'd finished preaching. His name's um, uh, Joe. And he said to this, uh, this pastor, he said, well, thanks, pastor. I really felt the Lord convicting me of this word. And so the pastor said, well, that's beautiful. Thanks, thanks Joe. And he said, well, yes. You see, Frank asked me to go motorbike riding with him this afternoon after church. And I said, yes, and I really meant it. Now, this was a big breakthrough for Joe. The pastor understood that, but he didn't really understand why. He said, Joe, I, I don't understand. What's the big deal? Well, Joe said, Frank rides Hondas and I'm a Harley rider. <laughs> and Harley riders don't hang out with Japanese bike riders. No, no, that's very embarrassing, he said. See, today's, today in God's word, uh, God challenges us not to show favouritism. Uh, the, the gospel is for all, all types of people, from Harley riders to Honda riders. God calls his church to break down any prejudice so that the gospel reaches all people. Now, I'm not sure how you will apply this today. Uh, I'll give you a few hints, no doubt about that. But hey, it might even be something as simple as riding with a Honda rider. I don't know. 
Not showing favouritism or prejudice or discrimination was one of the first lessons that Peter learned as the church grew, as the gospel went out, as people put their trust in the Lord Jesus as their, as their Lord and Saviour, as the gospel went out from Jerusalem. God's church is for all, uh, Jew and Gentile. God doesn't show favourites, doesn't play favourites. Now today we pick things up in Acts chapter 10. It's a, a significant moment for Peter, but it's also a significant moment for the church as the church grew. It was really a turning point in that way. The gospel wasn't just for Jerusalem. It, was, it, was, it wasn't just for Israel. It, it was for the whole earth, for all people. And the apostles, such as Peter would be the one sent out by Jesus to witness to the world, uh, to preach his word. But first, before we get sort of stuck into the, to what happened, uh, Michelle's going to come and read up. Uh, we're going to take a moment to get acquainted with the story again. And Michelle's going to read Acts 10 for us. So again, it'd be great to have a Bible open in front of you, and she's going to read that out. Thanks. Okay, now this is a long passage, um, but it's a great story. So I hope that I can help you keep concentrating um, as I read it. I'm not going to do the voices or the accents or anything, but I will um, try to make it engaging. All right, Acts chapter 10. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius! Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? he asked. The angel answered, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, Get up, Peter. Kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out, asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. 
Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, We have come from Cornelius the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to come to ask you to come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. The next day, Peter started out with them and some of the believers from Joppa went along. The following day, he arrived at Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said, I am only a man myself. While talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? Cornelius answered, Three days ago I was in my house, praying at this hour, at three in the afternoon. Suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He is a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good of you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message God has sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil, because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross, but God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptised with water. They have received the Holy Spirit, just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptised in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. Wonderful. Thank you. Did you catch, um, uh, <laughs> did you catch where Peter was 
He was in Joppa. I'm going to give a little prize to anyone. Why is Joppa interesting? Why is Joppa significant? What other famous person from the Bible was um, in Joppa before he... Jonah. Jonah. Well done. You know what the prize is? The prize is the glory of winning. Well done. Um, <laughs> Jonah was in Joppa before he fled to Tarshish, right on the other side of the Mediterranean. Um, Peter didn't do that, though, did he? Okay. Well, here's our plan this morning. I'd love you to have your... Um, your outline's open there too. You can write a few things down and have your Bible open. First, we're going to get this Google Earth perspective. We're going to focus on chapter 10 and then we'll fly back down to Earth and get the view from ground level. That's what I've called the street level, uh, street view, if you like, uh, Acts 11 verses 1 to 18. And following that, we'll make some points of application and work out what this means for us some 2,000 years later. Well, the, the Google Earth perspective, I think, of, is, is fascinating. It's really the big picture. As we read through, as Michelle read through uh, chapter 10 or 11 as well, we notice that all the events, they fit together perfectly, almost like puzzle pieces, and we see the whole story. I was watching um, a bit of a, the, the, the self-help TV ratings winner, Better Homes and Gardens, the other day. And once again, I was a little frustrated as, as to why all their projects work and mine don't. Don't know why. Anyway, this handyman on the episode, he was a lovely young man with lovely teeth and a lovely smile. I don't know his name. He, um, he constructed this storage unit um, on caster wheels, a simple storage solution, we were told. Uh, that's what he called it. He had all the tools on hand. The job was done perfectly in the 10 minutes between the ad breaks. Uh, that never works for me. Uh, I would do well to remember the advice of my friend, um, of a, a friend of mine's father once told him. He said, son, the best tool in the shed is the telephone. Call the builder, call the plumber, call the electrician. <laughs> anyway, um, <laughs> in Acts chapter 10, 11, we see God's careful oversight he needs no um, self-help TV show or advice. He's a father who provides and who will bring his plan to fulfilment. It, it must happen and it does. Under his sovereign oversight, all the pieces of the puzzle fit together. The, the job at hand is done. It works. Um, it's perfectly fit together. So first God prepares Cornelius. He was in a Gentile uh, city, the Gentile city of Caesarea, a centurion in the regiment of, uh, made up of men mostly from Italy, like any other, um, uh, like other centurions we meet in the New Testament. He's a, he's a good man, a good reputation, a good head on his shoulders, if you like. Uh, but, but something had drawn him to Judaism as he was a God-fearer. He was a sincere and generous man. But he was an unclean Gentile because he was uncircumcised. Even though he was respected, he was still unclean. And so any serious Jew would not enter his house. Well, Cornelius is given specific instructions by an angel and immediately he responds. Now, as this was happening, God prepares Peter to leap to, to leap an enormous barrier, and we're really in chapter 10, verses 9 to 23. At the end of chapter 9, though, Peter has, has just told the, the dead Tabitha to get up. 
You can look at it later on if you like. And before her, the paralytic Aeneas, also to get up. And now, in some type of trance, he's told in verse, chapter 10, verse 13, get up, Peter, kill and eat. In this vision, which occurs three times, now it's not the only time, uh, sorry, it's not the only time Peter has been challenged three times. Remember the cock crowing three times as he denied Jesus. But Peter sees heaven open and a sheet let down containing clean and unclean animals. And remember, on Peter's mind here is the is the is Leviticus reading we had today was one example of what Peter would have been thinking about clean and unclean and being separate from that, or separate from being unclean, unclean animals. But Peter's response to get up, kill and eat, you see what it is? It's, it's surely not, Lord. Peter's response to the word of God at this point is surely not, Lord. It's another one of Peter's inappropriate responses to God. And Peter's got a few runs on the board with those sort of responses. We, we, we don't have time to go through them all. Um, one comes, comes to mind, or a couple really. Uh, it reminds me of the time that Jesus uh, tells Peter where to throw his net in. This is in Luke chapter 5. So, uh, but Peter responds by saying, well, he's been fishing all night for nothing. Uh, it would be a waste of time for me to throw my net in over there, Jesus. What would you know? It's almost as if Peter says to Jesus, well, thanks, champ. Um, leave the fishing bit to me. You know, I know what I'm doing. Thanks, Jesus. Good on you. All right. I know what I'm doing. See, one, I'll give you another example. When Peter was... Peter conf- when Peter confesses that Jesus is the Christ in Mark chapter 8, but then he tries to correct Jesus' theology on what it means to be the Messiah. He says to Jesus, well, it won't involve Jesus' suffering and death. So when we read, surely not, Lord, from Peter, well, it's not that surprising. That's a Peter response in that way. His response shows that the connection between the vision that he had and the lesson had not really been made yet. What he has to learn is that it is no longer appropriate to apply the distinction of clean and unclean either to what you eat or with whom you eat with. That's what he's got to learn. Well, the timing is perfect in this story. The men who left Cornelius, uh, chapter 10, verse 9, now arrive Uh, 10 verse 19, and the Spirit tells Peter to go with them. So in 10 verse 19, Simon, there's a lot of Simons and Peters in this. I realise that's a bit confusing, but at this point he's talking to Simon Peter, although he's uh, staying at Simon's, the tanner's house. We'll get to that in a minute. So Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. As Peter arrives at the home of Cornelius... His opening line as he walks through the door would hardly have endeared him to his new visitors. Uh, it's not, uh, there's not a lot of social subtleties going on here. Although the good news is Peter is starting to make that connection between the vision and the lesson. Now look at verse um, 28. Verse 28. He said to them, You are well aware that it is against the law, against our law, for a Jew to associate or visit with a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So, what's God doing with Peter? We'll, 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 get, we'll work out what God's doing with the church soon enough, but what's God doing with Peter? Well, God is bringing Peter from being a man of his culture 
to being a man of the kingdom of God. Let me say that again. God is bringing Peter from being a man of his culture to being a man of the kingdom of God. Now I want to ask you a question this morning. Are you willing? Are you willing to let God work in this same way with you today? How do you feel about coming to church this morning? Probably a number of uh, feelings, probably, I imagine. Uh, some good, some, well, you know, some not as good, I suppose. We're all, we're all human. Um, but did you have this expectation? Did you have the expectation that God would change and challenge you through his word? I, I hope so. So will you trust God to bring you from being a person defined by today's culture to being a person of the kingdom of God? Perhaps we could simply ask, is the word of God which directs, is it the word of God that directs and, and shapes you or is it your culture, whatever that is, that instructs you on how to live? Well, in verse 29, uh, Peter asks Cornelius, he says, um, basically he says, why am I here? May I ask why you've sent for me? It seems it hasn't yet occurred to the apostle that the gospel could well be for the Gentiles. Perhaps Jesus' words in Luke 24, verse 47, I've got them, just, oh, that, that's our little map just to give you a bit of an idea as well. So just, just I'll pause for a moment here. So there's, the, there's Joppa, but there's Jerusalem, and you can see Caesarea there. So just that gives you a bit of an idea of, um, of the travels between the, these, these men. So... Uh, Jesus' words in Luke 24, verse 47. These words may well have gone over Peter's head. The resurrected Jesus told his disciples, this is what, what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead, and on the third day, on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. Now, Peter's version might have been a little bit different. Peter's version went a little like this. Repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to the Jews of all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. That is, the gospel is for the Jews only, he thought. What am I doing here? Why did God send me to your house, Cornelius? But when Cornelius then tells Peter of his vision and how God spoke to him, well, the penny finally drops. Peter then preaches a cracker three-point sermon. Uh, this is, where he, this is his three points. He might have picked them up. He talks about the life of Jesus first, doesn't he? It's in verse 37 to 38. And then his next point is the death and resurrection of Jesus and the fact that he is a witness to this, 39 to 41. And then finally, 42 to 43, he talks about the coming judgment by Jesus and that forgiveness of sin is available through him. And so, just like in Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit authenticated the believers in Jerusalem, that was in Pentecost. Here in Acts chapter 10, the Holy Spirit, as these Gentiles, non-Jews, responded in faith to the preaching of the gospel, as they believed and as they were, they were converted, the Holy Spirit authenticated these Gentile believers. They too are children of God. These outsiders, these non-Jews... They too are children of God and therefore, Peter says in verses 47 to 48, they too, like any other believer, should be baptised. Baptised symbolising that they too have been cleaned, they've been forgiven by God, 
Jesus died for them, washed them clean. That's what baptism symbolizes. What applies to food also applies to people. The distinction of clean and unclean, either to what you eat or with whom you eat, no longer applies. Now, baptism wasn't necessary for Cornelius' salvation or his whole household, but Peter wanted to make clear that Cornelius and his family were not inferior in any way, and they too were part of God's church. In a way, it was a stamp of approval from the church that they too were members of God's church, just like the Jerusalem Christians who Peter led. You might wonder, why is it that Peter was sent to do this task? I thought Paul last week was going to be the apostle to the Gentiles. Why Peter? Well, here's the reason why. Peter went because Peter is the leader of the church of Jerusalem. He went to show that Cornelius, to show that Gentiles too can be part of the church, can be part of the church at Jerusalem, can be part of God's church across the world. Well, Peter stays with the new believers for a few days, uh, no doubt sharing a meal with them. Uh, We're told, well, we're not told what was on the menu, but I doubt they would have jumped straight to pork, but they could have, and it would have been okay. In God's eyes, it was all clean, just as those who were there were clean because of the good news of, of the peace that comes through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. Okay, that's that. I've just called it a Google Earth perspective, right? You see how God puts all the puzzle pieces together and he's working amongst it all. Let's go to this street view, uh, the view on the ground, so to speak, and we're looking really at chapter 11, verses 1 to 18. There's our street view from the front of the church. How's that? Well, the news had reached Jerusalem before Peter could get back there. Have a look at um, 11, verse 1. The apostles and the believers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him and said, you went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them. Peter explains what happened. He tells the whole story again, telling them that the whole, uh, this, telling them that they, uh, or also letting them know really that there are other witnesses. This is verse 12. Peter concludes by telling the believers in Jerusalem he was not going to oppose God by denying baptism to these Gentiles. Well, all the objections are dropped and they too praise God. Have a look at verse 17. So if God gave them the same, same gift, that's the Holy Spirit, he gave, us, he gave us, who believed in the Lord Jesus, who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? When they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God, saying, so then even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. Uh, there's no doubt the gospel to the Gentiles was a turning point in, in this history of the early church. And Luke emphasises its importance by actually, he, he talks about it three times. He writes about it in chapter 10, in chapter 11, and then later on in chapter 15 too. This is a big moment in the church, in the gospel going out in, in, uh, in Christianity. But before we get on to applying this a little bit more, I want to make one more point about Peter's involvement. Peter tells the believers in 11 verse 5, this is he tells the believers in Jerusalem uh, in 11 verse 5 that he was in the city of Joppa praying, Uh, which is true, but Luke's already told us three times where he was, uh, at Simon the Tanner's house. Now, a bit of trivia here, you can still go to Simon the Tanner's house, a bit of a tourist attraction, 
that's what they think Simon the Tanner's house is, um, but that's sort of, sort of what it looks like by the sea there on the Mediterranean. Um, so uh, Peter tells the believers, I was in the city of Joppa praying, uh, but Luke's already told us three times that he was at Simon the Tanner's house. You've got to wonder whether Peter was trying to hide exactly where he was and who he was with when he was speaking with the Jerusalem leaders. Maybe he didn't want to get in trouble with them any further. I'm not quite sure. Tanning was considered unclean, you see, because it involved the handling of unclean carcasses um, and their skins. The skins would be used for all sorts of things. And it's a bit like the, and it was a bit like the local abattoir. Like a few years ago, 10 years ago, maybe 15 years ago, abattoirs would smell. Maybe they do still today. I used to go to with my my dad on um, on he was an accountant an accountant and we used to do a, a job out at Gyra at a local abattoir and you could smell it you could smell it from a long way away a tanning uh, a, a, a tanner's house was a bit like that it would stink absolutely stink so I imagine Cornelius's friends when they were looking for Peter at Simon the Tanner's house, would have no trouble finding him and tracking him down. They would have smelt him from a while, a while ago. It was, all they needed to do was to follow their nose, so to speak. There's also some evidence that Tanners were forbidden even to enter Jerusalem. So Tanners were seen as unclean. So here is Peter in an unclean Jew's house, staying there, receiving a vision about clean and unclean food. It's interesting, I think, isn't it? See, once again, I think Luke is showing people, he's showing us, he's showing the church warts and all. In this case, providing another example of Peter's humanness. Peter was happy enough to accept hospitality from Simon, an unclean Jew, but to do so with an unclean Gentile, Cornelius, well, that was unthinkable. It required a vision from God to change his prejudice. It's worth remembering that the best of men are men at best. Okay, let's spend some time sort of applying this and I'll give you an opportunity to ask a question if you want to as well. Uh, Just as in the early church, today, us here today, by his word, God directs his church to break down the barriers of prejudice. The gospel is for, I hope these terms work, up and outers like Cornelius the Ethiopian, a couple of weeks back, and the Roman proconsul, we meet in chapter 13. But the gospel is also for down and outers, like the Philippian prison guard in Acts chapter 16. It's for the Jews and Gentiles, for Africans, for Europeans, it's for rich, it's for poor. The gospel's for everyone, and God's purpose is expansive. All of us need the peace that only can come through Jesus, that only Jesus can give. In, in Christian circles, you might occasionally hear it said, and perhaps just thought, that people leading an openly sinful life need forgiveness through Jesus more than, say, respectable people like Cornelius do. On the other hand, some say that we should not try and reach out to unclean people. Now, you can define that however you like, really, because they'll change the look of our church or they might change the way we do things or force us to change the way we do things. Both attitudes are countered by God's all-embracing heart for the lost. The up and outer, this is where the terms don't well, I think they work. I think you know what I'm talking about anyway. The middle and outer, the middle and outer, and the down and outer, 
God's gospel is for everyone, for all types of people. We must ask ourselves then as God's church whether any action we do or think is creating a barrier, a prejudicial barrier for the gospel being heard. We've got to learn the lesson of Peter. And it cuts to the heart of this Cornelius story that God does not make distinctions in his church and we shouldn't either. All are equal. Favouritism is not our lot. But the church struggles with this. We struggle with this. History has shown discrimination has crept into our churches in the form of racism, nationalism, tribalism, castes, as in you know, social or cultural snobbery, sexism, probably could go on, and God hates it. God hates it. Much of our culture today is divisive, uh, from the motorbike you ride <laughs> to politics to how you get your news. God's church must be countercultural to that. God's church must not be characterised with such prejudice or any form of favouritism. His gospel is for all, all types of people. Why would we allow anything cultural or anything of this world to act as a barrier to people hearing the gospel? The good news of peace through Jesus Christ. It's a lesson Peter had to learn and perhaps us too. So let me close with the challenge that Peter received from God and that we must hear today as well. Are we trusting God to bring us, like Peter, from being a person shaped by today's culture to being a person of the kingdom of God? It's a good question we've got to ask. We can't read Acts 10, 11, not ask that question. Are we trusting God to shape us and bring us from a person, well, shaped by today's culture, to be a person of the kingdom of God. How about I pray, and then we'll um, see if there's any questions, uh, and we'll finish our service. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for, for Peter. We thank you for his honesty and, and his humanness, and we know that we too often are like him. Lord, we pray that we again, like Peter, would learn the lesson of not trusting in this culture we live in, but being willing to, to change, being willing to be someone who is shaped by, by the kingdom of God and that the gospel is indeed for all types of people, whoever they are. Lord, we thank you that your invitation to come to you and to put our trust in you is open to all. May we do that today, in Jesus' name. Amen.